Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Okay, really, it's mornings without Carmen again today. Hi, I'm Paul. Good Tuesday morning, or Fat Tuesday, or Shrove Tuesday, whatever you call it. But uh, hey, thank you for joining me. Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. And we like to start out with our Growing Your Faith verse of the day from Faith Radio, which today, as hopefully you just heard, is John 13, 34, and 35. So now, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Well, as I mentioned, Fat Tuesday, Shrove Tuesday, we're about ready to enter into the Lenten season, which does include, among the days, holy, or as some call it, Maundy Thursday. Maundy, where did that word, that name come from? Well, it actually comes from this verse, because... This is where Jesus says, I'm giving you a new command, or in Latin, a new mandatus, which is where we get the word in English of mandate, also another word for command. And it got slurred to the word mandi, I think by Anglo-Saxon years and years ago. Now, getting back to the verse, though, as I looked at that, I first thought, wait a minute, new command? Really? Love, I mean, come on, you have the two great commands that summarize the ten. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This doesn't sound new, does it? All right, let's look at this a bit closer. Jesus gave this command as part of his final hours with his disciples before his betrayal, trial, and crucifixion. And the disciples were squabbling about who was greatest again, and doing that in the presence of their Messiah, their God, right there, no less. But what did Jesus do? Chapter 13 in the first verse has an interesting phrase. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The start of that to the end was Jesus, their rabbi, their master, their God, humbly wrapping a towel around himself, grabbing a basin of water, and washing their feet. And after taking his place back at the table, Jesus said, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example for you, for you to do as I have done. He illustrated humility and self-sacrifice and love. And he would go even further in the coming hours, to show his love through his suffering, death, and resurrection. This was done on behalf of his church, his people, bearing their sins upon himself. Into this, in light of this example, Jesus gives this new command, just like he loved us, we're to love one another, that deep love of the community of believers, not just our local congregation, not just our denomination, not just our associations, the church, all people, that Jesus has died for, all who have received him. Let me ask you a question. Do you love, sacrificially love those 
who uh, name the name of Christ, even those you may have some deep disagreements with. Look at Jesus' disciples. They squabbled about a lot. They came from a variety of backgrounds. And Jesus called them to love each other for their good. They're going to need each other. And also for his glory, as Jesus said, that the world may know that you are my disciples. I grew up Roman Catholic. Now, I left due to many disagreements in teaching and practice, but many of my family, my extended family, are still there. And while we disagree on many points, there's a lot we do agree on. And I do see their trust in the grace of Jesus. I love them, not just as a brother or a cousin or uncle. I love them because they're also my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm currently attending a Baptist church. Have been for se- have, and but in the past several years, I've been in a variety of different churches. I I worshipped at Lutheran churches, Reformed churches, Evangelical Free, you name it. I work with people from a variety of backgrounds here at Faith Radio too. But we love each other. We serve together because we want to glorify Christ. We want people to know Christ is real. You know, there's one guy that we're going to talk about later in the show who loved people from a lot of different backgrounds and sought to be a person of unity. That was musician Rich Mullins. And like I said, we're going to talk about him later in the show. But right now I want to ask you a question, and you can text in your answer at 877-933-2484 if you remember listening to the music of Rich Mullins back in the 80s and 90s and even beyond that. He passed away in 97. Do you have a favorite Rich Mullins song? I'd love to know. Right now, though, looking at some news headlines, I want you to pray the news. Number one, Wisconsin going to the polls today to elect a new Supreme Court justice. If you're not in Wisconsin, pray for them. If you are, pray and vote. The seven-member state Supreme Court in Wisconsin has a 4-3 split in favor of judges with a more conservative judicial temperament. One of those conservatives is retiring. There are four candidates vying to fill that seat, two who are viewed as likely to maintain that conservative temperament, two who would swing the court more progressive and liberal. This is important for many reasons, foremost in the minds of many there in Wisconsin, the issue of abortion. With the abortion issue thrown back to the states last year, the U.S. Supreme in the U.S. Supreme Court Dobbs decision, a 1849 law in Wisconsin has essentially outlawed most abortions in the state, but it's being challenged. Also, pray the news as Biden, our president, is in Poland right now, meeting with leaders there. This visit to Poland follows his surprise visit to Ukraine. He made a five-hour visit yesterday to that war-torn country. The president spoke at the capital of Kiev, reaffirming the U.S. commitment to Ukraine nearly a year after Russia invaded its neighbor. Well, not the first time a president has visited an embattled region. This is still quite remarkable. We're going to talk about that next with Mark Caleb Smith with the Bereans at the Gate blog, and he's also a political science professor at Cedarville University. Yeah, trying to get them out to work this morning. Maybe you're having the same problem, but this is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul. This is Faith Radio. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen today, talking now with Mark Caleb Smith, political scientist from Cedarville University. And, uh, wow, thanks for joining us, Mark. And I tell you, that was pretty, I would think, brave on Biden's, uh, you know, Biden's, uh, you know, for him to go into Ukraine like he did. Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, it's a, obviously a, a, a war-torn country. Uh, there's a bit of danger involved for sure. 
Um, and I think he did it and it was, we should give him the credit for it, but it's, it's also very critically important symbolically, um, to see the leader of the free world, uh, going into that kind of an environment and meeting with Zelensky and saying the things that he did. I think it's, a potentially a historic moment. It is. And one thing I was looking at is, okay, have other presidents gone into war-torn areas? And I thought, well, yes, that has happened. But this is a little unique to me Uh, because we had – during the uh, second Gulf War – and also our our work in uh, in Afghanistan – uh, President Bush, George H., or George W. Bush, went to both of those countries a few times. Yeah, <clears throat> it, it it is unusual. Um, of course, one of the differences there is President Bush was visiting American soldiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, President Biden was there to visit an ally uh, in a in a different situation and in a very tense situation uh, potentially. Um, and I think it's, you know, I think you have to give him credit for it, you know, but, but it's interesting to watch the political fallout from this. Um, it, there was a point in our history where politics stopped at the water's edge, you know, where the president goes abroad, you support the president, you say nice things about the president. Um, and then when the president gets back, then you resume sort of normal politics to some extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you saw after president Biden's visit that the political machine jumped into gear pretty quickly and uh, started to comment uh, from both sides. And so uh, it's unfortunate to that extent. But no, I think I think a good surprise for the president and uh, I think a, a huge boost for Zelensky and for Ukraine. Uh, and I think it has to be discouraging to, to Putin to see such strong support for the United States. Yeah, he uh, had a speech, I guess, earlier today at the in at the Duma in, in Moscow, where he's basically saying, well, here we are a year out. We got to continue. It's it's the West fault. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> well, I want to take the yeah. break a little early here because I want to give more time in our next discussion because there's a few news articles that uh, popped out at me this last week where our, our U.S. press is, I think, in a lot of trouble. And and in, in a way, we are, too, uh, struggling with a lot of these issues. But I want to get to that as we look at, for example, the uh, – the Dominion Voting Systems lawsuit against Fox News, there was some information released last week that, uh, be, with disclosure, showed that a lot of the Fox News hosts and the leadership, when it came to this voting system you know, fraud, they knew the claims were false, but they went forward on air with them anyway. So we're going to talk about that and some other issues around the press coming your way as we continue Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen.
Haven't seen anybody mention that song by Rich Mullins yet. I asked a little while ago, do you have a favorite Rich Mullins song? We'll be talking about him later on in the show, and that's all right, okay, uh-huh, amen. Uh, let's see, Deborah said, favorite song, Creed. Yeah, that's one of my favorites as well. And then also somebody else said a couple of them here, Hold Me Jesus, beautiful song, plus Sing Your Praise to the Lord. We, he originally wrote that, Amy Grant sang it, but he has a nice version of the song as well. What's your favorite Rich Mullins song? 877-933-2484. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen today on Mornings with Carmen, talking with Mark Caleb Smith of the Bereans at the Gate blog, as well as a political science professor at Cedarville University. And as I was setting up before the break, or trying to, Mark, there's a lot of concerning stuff happening when it comes to our press. I mentioned the issue of Fox News host claim, uh, knowing, knowing the claims that, that were being made by them against the Dominion voting systems after the uh, 2020 election were false. And then also last week, and Carmen talked about this on Friday, you can f- listen on the podcast, uh, New York Times got protested by some LGBT groups because they were quite, you know, their New York Times ran some reports questioning the helpfulness of youth transitioning, medical youth transitioning, and these protesters wanted to silence that. So I, I guess the question is, okay, where's the commitment to facts? Because there's a lot of information. Again, if you're looking at the issue of the, you know, youth transitioning, there's a lot of information which I'm going to share uh, that were shared by um, Abigail Fravali uh, in a thread about this. And the New York Times is correct factually, and yet people don't want to listen to the facts. Yeah, I think this is a great discussion um, because it really gets down to the heart of some key questions. Uh, Why do we have a news media? Uh, What do we expect the news media to do? Um, How does it fit into our form of government and why it's so critical in a free society? For there to be a media that functions, you know, somewhat objectively or at least somewhat detached from partisan politics, um, I think the Fox story is absolutely fascinating. Really, um, any, anybody who watched this unfold in 2020 and 2021, um, who who studies this and who pays close attention to campaigns and elections, uh, I really don't know of anyone who's credible um, who's claimed that the election was stolen or there was widespread fraud. And so it wasn't really a a big surprise uh, as the election results came in and President Biden uh, was declared the winner. But Fox kept with the narrative that there had been uh, rigging that Dominion vote systems in particular had switched votes and they allowed claims uh, from people like Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and others to be aired. And as you said, in the process of Dominion's lawsuit now, we're starting to see text messages between um, network executives uh, primetime hosts that really reveal that they knew this was flawed. They knew that the information wasn't correct, uh, but they also realized that they needed the support of their viewers. You know, they were worried about um, Newsmax and OAN uh, taking parts of their audience, and they tried to walk this line. You know, we know this isn't true, but we also know this is bad for the company if we uh, push back against this narrative. And so they sort of tried to walk the line to allow this to be said uh, for competitive reasons, and that's it. Um, I think it's a remarkable story. We'll see whether Dominion has the the goods enough to win a lawsuit. You know, right? They're still pretty far away from that, I think, to some extent. Um, but I think it really asks this basic question: What do you want the media to be? And I think right now, as you said, the media is struggling to answer that question even itself. 
It is. And then you flipped the side over to what was happening last week with the New York Times that ran those articles critical of youth transitioning and those medical interventions. And right. I, I guess the question is, are we looking for the news media to be our ally for our right. viewpoints or are we wanting them to at least challenge us if we're wrong? <laughs> Uh, I think that's the that's the really the million dollar question. Uh, why do you go to the news media? You know, why do you, you know, back in the day, crack open that newspaper, or today, why do you click on this particular link? Why do you go to this particular website? Uh, why do you have a particular app downloaded to your phone where you get news? Um, and I think for many people, and I think the evidence shows this, for many people, that process is really about confirming what they already think. And, and so they're really just looking for information that fits with their worldview, that fits with their narrative and their understanding of political reality, and they want re- information to reinforce that. And there are a lot of media companies uh, who are certainly in that business, and you could argue, I think, today most, if not uh, 90% of them, are in that business of sort of distributing information to people who generally agree with a particular point of view. Into this, there was one more thing that came up last week that I I found rather shocking, and that was a report. There's uh, two prominent journalists who are teaching at Arizona State University, um, and they put out this beyond objectivity, producing trustworthy news in today's newsroom. And they basically say, you know, we can't be objective. That that This is one of the quotes from Leonard Downey Jr., one of the editors. He also works with the Washington Post. Increasingly, reporters, editors, and media critics argue that the concept of journalistic objectivity is a distortion of reality. They point out that the standard was dictated over decades by male editors in predominantly white newsrooms and reinforced their own views of the world. They believe that pursuing objectivity can lead to false balance or misleading both sidisms uh, in covering stories about race, the treatment of women, LGBT rights, so on and so forth. And I'm kind of going, wait a minute. Step back, <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think so. I, that's what I, I hope so. You know, I hope that there's a market that opens up for objective, relatively straight down the line uh, news, you know, not spin, not opinion, just straightforward news that seeks to um, inform people above anything else. Uh, but the report that you're citing, I think it is really an accurate portrayal of where most of the mainstream media sees itself at the moment. Uh, They see themselves as activist journalists, for many of them, as opposed to simply journalists trying to present the facts of a situation. Um, Objectivity is really no longer the goal. Uh, Detachment is no longer the goal. Uh, Right now, it seems to be how can we put people uh, who have experience with oppression or have traumatic backgrounds or who have a strong opinion about an important issue how do we put them in a position or give them a platform so that they can then advocate uh, from that perspective? And I'm not really sure that's journalism at all. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking with Mark Caleb Smith and okay. In the face of all this, Mark, now you as a political scientist, a Christian, and you're trying to get the best view you can understanding, okay, we all have editorial viewpoints, so to speak. We all have these worldview issues and you would know CNN has theirs, Fox has theirs, and so on and so forth. So how do you process the news? Are, are there any tips you can give us to help us 
make sure we're we're not getting too myopic and thinking, oh, they got all the truth right there, and we got and you know really they're just feeding back what we want to hear. Yeah, I think the first thing that I try to do is I if I use social media. I use it to find links to news. I don't use social media for the news itself. So um, I may use social media to find what's happening and what's trending at the moment, or someone has tweeted out something that's an important story. So I'll go chase down that story. Uh, So I don't look to social media to inform me. I just look for it to link to something else. Um, I also really try to uh, look at different perspectives and look at those different sources that you're mentioning um, so I don't really watch a lot of television news, honestly, Me neither. but I do try to read <laughs> a lot of news that's from both sides, if you want to call it that, uh, so that I can get a sense of how the different points of view are sort of unfolding on this particular issue. And it isn't always the case that the truth is in the middle. That's not always true no, at all, no. but at least you're getting a sense from both perspectives, what they're saying. But honestly, what I try to do the most is I try to go to the primary documents. And so if, if they're referencing a presidential speech, well, I try to look at the speech. Mm-hmm. or listen to the speech. Um, if they're referencing a piece of legislation, uh, I try to go look at the legislation myself and develop an opinion on it for myself as much as I can, or I read the court decision. And I know not everyone has the time to do that, No, uh, but I think really only looking at those primary sources, are you going to start to understand uh, truly what kind of spin that you're being subjected to. So I think we have an obligation um, to really seek out good information as much as we can, even from different points of view. And then we've got to do the hard work of synthesizing it ourselves, but that takes time. I kind of joke that uh, when it comes to helping Carmen produce the show, I look on social media to see what people are screaming about. And then (laughs) I try and find people who are thinking well about it. That's why, you know, we have people like you on, Mark, to help us (laughs) <laughs> Think well. Hey, one more thing. Uh, there's yes. been a lot of talk about in the last couple of weeks about what's been happening at Asbury, a revival right. there, and it has spread to other campuses, and the reports are that it may have spread to uh, Cedarville University. Yeah, I mean, I it's probably the academic in me, to be honest, but I have a hard <laughs> time labeling things revival right now. Um, and so to me, I think we have to take a step back and let things play out. Um, look for these sort of uh, transformational effects that we would expect a revival to have and give it a little bit of distance, um, mm-hmm. not only to let it breathe and grow on its own, uh, but then to maybe take a better sober measure of what's happening. But uh, students are certainly interested here at Cedarville. Uh, we have a lot of discussion, a lot of students going to other campuses to preach and to uh, to try to witness to people. And I think we should be excited about that. But, uh, you know, we'll see. That's my attitude about it, which may be a reflection on me. I'm perfectly comfortable. (laughs) Well, I understand because I'm one of those. It's like I want to be careful, but I also want to be expecting and hopeful and basically praying that, yes, let this be. Because I I look at our younger generation. It was 50 years ago when there was another, you know, back in 1970, I think it was, when there was another move of the spirit um, that happened among the youth. The the, yes. the the people who are so, I don't know, broken up and confused right. in that day um, because of stuff that happened around Vietnam War, sexual revolution, all that. And we have something similar going on in our modern day with all the confusion. And all of a sudden, is God moving? And will God have mercy on our young generation? And will this have lasting impact? So that's kind of where I've been praying. Yeah, I hope that it does. And heaven knows that our nation needs revival. Amen. So I hope that. I hope this is the beginning of it, but we'll mm. see. Not just our nation, our, the church and the world. So That's right. Well, anyway, and again, thanks, uh, Mark, for joining us here on uh, Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Always my pleasure, Paul. You take care. Yeah, you too. We'll be back after we hear from uh, Max Lucado. 
The music of Rich Mullins. We'll be talking with the author of a devotional biography about Rich Mullins coming up in the second hour of Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in today asking you, do you have a favorite Rich Mullins song? 877-933-2484. Text in your response. Laurie, uh, Laura said, I was in Japan at the time I found out he passed away. This was back September of 97 in a horrible traffic accident. She, she said I was heartbroken. Top five songs. Elijah. Yeah, great song. I See You, If I Stand, Creed, and My Deliverer. A song that... Um, was released after his death on a famous The Jesus record, and yeah, that is an amazing song. I'll let you know what my favorite... Well, that's really hard to say what my favorite song is, because I had so many songs I love, but one really does stand out. I'll tell you about that later on in the show, so stay with us. Again, pray the news. Uh, two more large earthquakes hit the Turkish-Syrian border region today. One was, uh, well, they're in the six plus Richter scale area causing some damage, some deaths. Yeah, 6.4 and 5.8 was the other one. Again, this is on top of that region still struggling after the earthquakes of February 6th. So again, be in prayer for that. As I mentioned earlier with Mark Caleb Smith, the war in Ukraine approaching the one-year mark as of this coming Friday. Earlier today, Putin addressed the Federal Assembly, the Duma in, in Moscow, continuing to assert his country had no choice but to invade Ukraine. In his speech, he blamed the West for starting the war, telling lawmakers they started it. It's a similar argument he made last February when the war started. Putin also claimed that Ukraine was hoping to provide, be provided with nuclear weapons. Well, that's still being fought out, but a lot of lives have been impacted And God has moved in mighty ways on the hearts of people during this time. And with that, we hope to talk to Chris Manson here in about three minutes. We've talked with him before, Carmen has, about ambulances for Ukraine, and it continues to grow and grow. We'll talk with Chris in just a few minutes. Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. Uh, some more Rich Mullins music there. Again, do you have a favorite Rich Mullins song? 877-933-2484. We're going to be talking uh, with uh, the author of his biography coming up next hour here on Faith Radio. I'm Paul filling in for uh, Carmen and talking right now with Chris Manson. Now, we've talked with Chris before. He's part of, well, he, first off, he's the vice president of government relations for OSF Healthcare out of Peoria, Illinois. But, Chris, that's kind of been put to the side a little bit lately, hasn't it? Well, don't tell my employer that. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, now in my, uh, you know, see, I'm the VP of government relations for OSF, but I've also for the past year uh, been the founder of uh, U.S. Ambulances for Ukraine. So I've been bringing ambulances and uh, fire engines to uh, 
Ukraine since uh, March 29th. So it's taken up a decent amount of time. Yeah. So try, to, try to do it in the off hours. Yeah, well, but they, in all fairness, I mean, I remember talking before and the leaders of OSF, uh, which is a Franciscan order, if I remember right, um, and they basically said, hey, if God has put this on your heart, you got to do it. And so, uh, yeah, absolutely. My boss is a sister. So, I mean, you go to a sister and you say, hey, I feel this calling to do something. And I really feel God's called me to do it. Uh, they kind of embraced that with open arms and said, how can we help? And, and they really have. They've been really great. I mean, they've been very supportive. They've uh, given supplies. Um, we've we've, we've uh, filled ambulances with, with supplies from our hospitals. We've even sent over some uh, uh, incubators and warming beds oh, for yes. infants. So just really good stuff. So yeah, they've been, they've been really great. They have been. I, I first off, we need to back up, Chris. For those who have not heard about ambulances for Ukraine, who haven't heard our previous couple of conversations with you, let's step back. How did this all get started? And it's one of those and a child shall lead them moments, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really was. Um, my uh, seven-year-old daughter, she's seven at the time, um, said was, had watched the news with me a little bit, and she basically just said, "Hey, Dad, you know, is there anything we can do to help the people of Ukraine?" And it was just something that was weighing on her. She, you know, she didn't see a, a lot of stuff, but she saw enough to know bad things were happening to, to good people. And she just, she wanted to do something to help. So that's, that was really the question. That was the first question that was asked in uh, early March. And then I asked a local ambulance provider, hey, I've got this crazy idea of wanting to send an ambulance to Ukraine. Um, would you, would you, you know, do you think you could help me? And I was expecting all kinds of you know, maybes, or I'll see what I can do. But instead, his aunt, his only answer or his response was, what do you need, gas or diesel? So between, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so really between those two questions, what can we do to help and what do you need, gas or diesel, that started us on this journey of uh, getting ambulances and fire engines for Ukraine. And since that time, a little less than a year ago, when you first asked that question, you have had sent how many ambulances, you and your team, to uh, Ukraine? So right now we have 28 ambulances in Ukraine and one fire engine. Whoa, fire engines? Where'd that come yep. from? Well, one of the uh, one of the fire departments that donated a couple of ambulances, uh, or three ambulances actually, in the June said, hey, we might have a fire engine. So when I was back in Ukraine, I started talking about that um, to the people in Ukraine, and they said, yeah, absolutely, we need fire engines. So we pivoted a little bit and started uh, looking for fire engines as well. And now I'm happy to report we've got one fire engine in Ukraine. We've got the 28 ambulances, but we're working on another shipment right now. And I've got three ambulance or three fire engines already. I might've gotten a fourth one last night and we'll have another <laughs> six ambulances. So we'll have 10 vehicles, I think for this next shipment, hopefully in March. Oh, dude, you rock. <laughs> this is awesome. Oh. So, okay, let's let's back up. There's an interest. Why the – you mentioned this before. Why U.S. ambulances? Because, you know, they right. could get ambulances from almost anywhere. Why, why ours? Well, so the reality of it is because of the war, because of the attrition, because the Russians have targeted ambulances, um, the, the need is just so huge um, in a kind of a modern warfare kind of, you know, tank and, and other kind of warfare that they're experiencing over there, that um, the reality of it is there's really not enough ambulances in Europe to supply that demand. Um, I mean, we, you know, what we've done is we've found ambulances that we can get donated here in the United States for free, and then we focus on 
partnering with groups to uh, help us ship them over. And they cost somewhere between twelve to $13,000 maybe per ambulance mm. to, put, to put them on a ship. And so there's other groups that can donate money. And I work with a great group, the uh, UA Resistance Foundation, um, just amazing people. And the Ukrainian conflict in Chicago is great and helps us to, to identify funding sources. Rotary's helped um, in the last shipment. And, and basically, we're able then to go ahead and say, okay, since the ambulances are free, the cost of shipping is this twelve to $13,000. It makes sense. And we can get them over there completely stocked, filled with supplies. In fact, they're so filled when we get there, we have to pull stuff out of them um, because they're just they're filled completely full. And we're able to distribute those extra supplies, extra gurneys, whatever it is. And then the ambulances can go into service. Yeah. So, yeah. That, that, that's kind of cool because you use the ambulance not just for the ambulance, but it's it's a packing crate. And Absolutely. You have a lot of various medical supplies. I mean, you mentioned some of the stuff already. What are some of the other medical supplies? If somebody wanted to donate even medical supplies to this, and we've talked about this before, yeah. uh, what are you looking for? I mean, unfortunately, the things we're looking for are things that stop bleeding. We're looking at mm. traumatic injuries. We're looking at um, you know tourniquets, bandages, um, uh, very various types of trauma bandages. Um, things for sucking chest wounds. I mean, it's it's bad stuff, but I mean that's the kind of stuff we're looking for. And then stuff to help people with breathing. Um, you know, it's to secure airways. It's to go ahead and um, AEDs just to restart hearts. Um, you know, when people go into cardiac arrest, it's uh, cardiac monitors. It's ventilators. Um, I will tell you, we we talk we you know doing this you know it's kind of this U.S. ambulances for Ukraine. There's other groups in, uh, around the the world that are sending ambulances from other parts of Europe, as we just talked about. When they can find them, they try to bring them over, and um, some have had better luck than others. And in this last shipment that we uh, we had ten ambulances and the fire engine. Um, we also one of the ambulances besides medical supplies, we had a transmission uh, for a Chevy ambulance that somehow had gotten over to Ukraine, I guess a couple years ago or a year a year before or something, <laughs> and or it had somehow been in Europe, and so they grabbed it, but the transmission was shot. So um, again, working with the UA Resistance Foundation, they got a transmission. We were able to put that on the ambulance, and when we got to uh, Poland and then into Ukraine, we were able to, to unload the transmission and get it to, to this other group. Um, wow. So that they can go ahead and put their ambulance in, in uh, into effect, and they they work on um, evacuating um, uh, displaced persons out of combat areas. So it's just you know, so you never know what you're. I mean, we always know what we're bringing, but it's just sometimes it's a wide variety of things that we're putting in those ambulances. Chris Manson, our guest right now here on Faith Radio with Ambulances for Ukraine. You can find them on Twitter, Ambulances and the letter U. And also, you mentioned this uh, UA Resistance. They have a website themselves, don't they? Yeah, it's, it's UA, and then there's like a, a hyphen. And hard dash, yeah. yeah. Yeah, hard dash, and then resistance.org. All right. So UA-resistance.org. Uh, I'm going to take a break right now, Chris, but when we come back, you just came back a few weeks ago from Ukraine. You've made a few trips now, and I want you to kind of give us the lay of the land right now, what you're sensing there. And so we'll continue this conversation in a, just a few moments. Thank you again for listening to Faith Radio. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up. They come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. 
The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. May there be peace soon in Ukraine, even though right now there is so much war. We're talking with uh, Chris Manson. He, uh, again, is the leader of Ambulances for Ukraine, something that started because of your daughter, Chris. And here you are, um, 28 ambulances, one fire truck later, and more getting ready to be shipped. Amazing work. Thank you for doing that. Now, you just came back. You've had a a few trips to Ukraine, and you just came back a few weeks ago. Kind of give us the sense of what's going on there right now. Yeah, no. um, So in January, uh, we had our fourth. Um, I had my fourth trip. It was our seventh shipment of vehicles. My uh, daughter had signed the fire engine, and <laughs> since I had been a firefighter, I told her, okay, I'll, I'll drive that in. So we had 10 ambulances and a fire engine that we had in Poland, um, and then we led that convoy in. Uh, they would drive that fire engine, you know, all the way into, uh, we went to uh, K- uh, Rivnet, Kiev, um, and then down to Odessa, and then eventually all the way to Mykolaiv, and then we delivered uh, ambulances all the way to Kursan. So uh, it was a really good trip. Um, I'll tell you, the spirits of the people are are still up in Ukraine. They're definitely concerned about what you know, kind of February twenty fourth is going to bring, what the mm-hmm. Russians might do as far as the anniversary. But um, you know, I got to tell you, you, you cr- I crossed over. Um, it's ten o'clock at night. This last time, it's there's a well, not a blizzard, but pretty close. It's still like crazy. I'm at the Ukrainian, um, I'm at the uh, Ukrainian, just about ready to enter Ukraine. So I'm leaving the, the border checkpoints and it's cold out and everything. This, this Ukrainian that probably speaks very little English, he sees the ambulances, the fire engines. He takes my paperwork, gives it back and in the middle of the night, biggest smile on your face, you know, shakes my hand and says, good luck. Thank you. <laughs> and, you know, he knows what it's all about. Mm-hmm. And we got that same kind of experience all the way through. Um, Ukraine. I mean, we had people that would wave to us, take pictures. They read the messages on the sides of the vehicles. We, um, it, you know, we stopped at an orphanage there where the kids had been, they lost their parents because of the war, and the kids got to play on the fire engine, and mm-hmm. we just, you know, got to see some of the smiles on the kids and every on their faces and stuff. So very, just very resilient, and um, you know, they they know. They, they, I think they, I think they do know that the world's with them in this, and that they're on the side of right, and eventually, you know, they will prevail. That's the sense that I get. I got to back up a little bit. Something you said a few minutes ago that Russian forces are targeting ambulances. They were targeting them. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the things. Uh, in fact, there's just another. There's a cut, another couple horrible videos that are out there. Recent videos of them using anti-tank missiles to take out. Um, or, you know, ambulances that are attending to the wounded and uh, I think it's near Bakhmut. So, yeah, I just, I, I mean, it, it's an unfortunate 
I mean, it's just that there's no, there's no, no defending it. It's, it's a horrible thing. And, um, you know, so it is what it is and that's why the need is so great. And, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a really bad situation. So we're doing our, we're doing what we can to make sure that they, that people have ambulances. In fact, this morning before I was on the program, uh, we have one ambulance from Virginia that was donated. It's, uh, was donated to, uh, volunteer firefighters in Odessa. They're now actually in Kherson and, uh, they were telling me that they've been shelled. Uh, they're under attack actually, or the city was under attack. They're being shelled by uh, phosphorus, white phosphorus. Mm. And uh, they say the attack's over. Now we're going to go out. And the latest I heard is, you know, six dead and I don't know how many wounded, but they're out right now with one of our ambulances, um, you know, either tending to the wounded or trying to deal with the, uh, you know, fires that are happening as a result of the attack. Ambulances that you helped send, you prayed over. And yeah, it's amazing hearing the stories about what they're doing. It it is. And I mean, and I got to tell you, um, you know, you you mentioned prayed over it. It's this has been one of the one of the true blessings of, of this whole thing. Um, I mean, it's a horrible, it's, it's horrible to get here, but, um, and I can't understand, you know, why God, you know, why this path has to happen this way. I, I don't, I don't understand that. I don't try to, um, but I can tell you that it's brought so many people together in the United States and Ukraine, um, you know, Catholics, Protestants, Jews, I mean, um, Orthodox, uh, Christians. I mean, it's, it's just been amazing. And, um, I got to tell you, I've broken bread and had dinner with uh, people from Poland, Ukraine, the United States. And, you know, we're in Ukraine. And before we eat dinner, or we have a meal. We, you know, we say a blessing. And it's, you know, it's in different languages and there's different ways that they make the sign of the cross. But, I mean, it's all the same thing. They're, you know, they're, they're taking that moment and there's just that connection. And it's just, it's an, it's an amazing feeling to be a part of that. And, um, you know, these ambulances I've had ambulances blessed in New Mexico and sent over, ambulances blessed in Chicago and sent over, ambulances blessed in Virginia and sent over. So, I mean, it, it's kind of, it's all over the place. I was going to ask you about that because this is, when God sends you on a on a quest, a call or something like that, and you've been feeling, you know, moving forward with this and fulfilling that call, I mean, what is it meant to you? What has it done on your heart? And you, you kind of laid that out. I mean, you're, you're seeing God move in amazing ways. But personally, I mean, where are you at with God in all this? I mean, you, I hear the struggle, but I also hear this hope. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, I I thought of myself as a decently practicing Catholic that, you know, you know, and I definitely believe in God. And my, I, have my, I have a strong faith. I work for a Catholic health system. So I felt like I was doing pretty good. But I'll tell you, this past year has brought me much closer to God in my faith. I mean, there have been just example after example where, um, you know, I've had to, I've had to come to the realization or the understanding that, um, you know, it's not what I want to do; it's what God wants to mm-hmm. do. And there might be times where I think, well, this is the right thing to have happen. It doesn't happen, and I, at least I've, I've I've been able to come to the grips with that a little bit more. And I'll say, okay, you know, maybe just lay back and see what happens because obviously God has a different plan. And every single time, I got to tell you, it's worked out, and it's just—it's been amazing that, um, I mean, the way that it's worked out. And then again, the connections. My, I, I'm in southern Ukraine. Um, I'm talking to the commanding officer of the southern command, and they're talking about my daughter Lily. And these people are like, "Oh, I've seen your daughter, and I, we've seen videos of your daughter, and we're so thankful." And this commanding officer says, "Hey, the the head of the Orthodox Church for Ukraine gave me this medal." 
blessed this medal, gave it to me to keep me safe. I want you to take it back. And I've had it with me since the war began. I want you to take it back and give it to your daughter so that when she prays over us, when she's praying for us, she has this to pray for us. And I mean, you know, you, you cannot, I mean, it sends chills in my spine just, you know, mm-hmm. retelling it. And, you know, I bring that back, you know, of all the stuff I brought back, that was the thing that was most important. And my daughter has it and she has it in a place of importance. It's safe. And she prays for the people of Ukraine every night. In fact, she had her birthday uh, a few days ago and mm. um, she had her, she made her birthday wishes during the day at the party. In the evening, she came down and she said, hey, dad, has there been any news on any progress in Ukraine? I'm like, well, why? She's like, well, I had a wish. <laughs> and so, you know, so she's still working on it. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's been a very, so that part of the whole thing has been very uplifting to see how everyone has responded around the world to this effort. So amazing. And Chris, blessings on you. Again, for people to get in contact with you, maybe partner with you, uh, you have the Twitter feed, Ambulance yep. is You. Um, any other way they can get a hold of you? Through yeah, I mean, U- it, USA yeah, Resistance? Yeah, they, or, uh, the UA, yeah. They UA, 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 UA uh, dash resistance.org, or they could actually email me at uh, Christopher.m.manson at OSFHealthcare.org. You can do that too. And that way, you know, if you got, if you want to reach out, you can talk to me there. Keep up the good work, Chris. Thank you so much for what you're doing in the name of Jesus. Well, thank you. I mean, it's been a pleasure. And you guys have been, it's like you guys have been here since the beginning. So I, I'm so happy to come back and give you an update. So thank you so much. Glad have to a have good one. Glad to have you. This is Mornings with Carmen. Paul filling in this week here on Faith Radio. We'll be back in a moment. Uh, the start of Rich Mullins' song, Calling Out Your Name. Hey, I'm Paul filling in for Carmen here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Asking you, because in a little over half an hour, we're going to be talking with uh, James Bryant Smith. He's the author of Rich Mullins, An Arrow Pointing to Heaven. It's the actually 25th anniversary edition of that book he first published because this past September, September 19th, if I remember right, was the... 25th anniversary of Rich Mullins' death in 1997, and I, you know, there's some—oftentimes you you know where you were when you hear, heard some bad news. Now, Rich Mullins, I, I'd been working in Christian music radio since 1985. I saw his first album come up, played a few songs from that, played a lot of music on the radio through the years, and his was always some of my favorites. I've been asking you what your favorite Rich Mullins song is, and you can let me know at 877-933-2484. Text your, that to us. Uh, somebody did mention Bill and uh, Jackie calling out your name. Uh, let's see. If I Stand, uh, Reverend Castro mentioning that. Awesome God, yeah, that is an awesome song. Somebody again, If I Stand. And let me see this one. Um, yeah, there we go, Rosella. I was trying to get to that. If I Stand Again, that that was a great song. I'll let you know one of my favorites, because I love all these songs. Don't get me wrong. They're all great songs um, and so powerful. But I'll let you know one of my favorites. I don't think it ever was a radio hit, as they talk about, but it still was 
just one of the songs that that grabbed me. So, well, stay with us. Uh, coming up next hour, also talking with Angela Smith, who is Susie Larson's producer, but also she helps lead our efforts with reading the Bible together. And tomorrow we start the Lenten reading the Bible together plan. So, hope you've joined us on that, or you've signed up. If not. Go to our website, MyFaithRadio.com. Get signed up. We'll get you the study guide and then the links to all the podcasts that uh, Angie's working on. Back in a few minutes. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.